pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, guys. And man, I considered it a huge privilege uh, to be able to come here and to, uh, to preach. Again, I, I, I get the dust off. I had to actually open my Bible. You know, it takes, you know, six months or so. I'm like, I should probably read my Bible if I'm gonna be preaching today. And so, so I considered it an absolute privilege to be able to be here while Mike's on vacation um, and, and to simply be able to go. And uh, I don't know if you, if you like do the Bible reading plans where you're kind of reading through the Bible in a year, but if you don't, uh, I wanted to kind of give you a really cool thing today. Today, you can actually check off one book of the Bible. We're gonna read an entire book of the Bible today, and I know you're going, what? Why are you gonna read the whole book of the Bible? My prayer is that it's only two pages, and so we're gonna get there, and actually, as, as I'm gonna actually kind of give you a heads up. It's the book of Jonah, and so if you actually have your Bibles, I want you to go to the table of contents, because sometimes it's hard to find. It's like those two pages that kind of stick together, and sometimes you're like, do I have to read it? So yeah, go to the book of Jonah, or open up your Bible apps, and you'll be able to kind of find the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. Or if you have our Bible, if you have our Bible app, our church Bible app, it's also your message notes will be in there as well. And so today is the 3rd of July, right? If you guys remember that. Uh, and, and one of the things where I come from in Oceanside down uh, in Southern California, I mean, I've been up here six and a half years, so I do claim Tracy as my home, but where I was before, we actually celebrated the 4th of July on the 3rd of July because the city didn't want to pay overtime and the 3rd of July was the city's anniversary. And so they're like, hey, we're gonna do fireworks on the 3rd of July. So normally I'm used to fireworks on the 3rd of July. So I thought it'd be appropriate for me to kind of give you guys um, a 4th of July speech that changed this nation and changed this world. And I hope I do it justice because it's short, and I hope that um, you don't miss it because of how short it is. And, and this is the message, and maybe you'll catch on on what message it was given on the 4th of July. And it starts this way. It says, in less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world, and you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind. That word should have a new meaning for us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interests. Perhaps it's faith that today is the 4th of July. I know it's the 3rd of July. Perhaps today it's the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom, not from tyranny, oppression, persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist, and should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared it in one voice. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We are going to live on. We are going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. And if you already know it, it's President Thomas, a.k.a. Bill Pullman from Independence Day movie uh, back in 1996. <laughs> and I hope you guys know the rest of the story. Basically, they give the aliens COVID-19 virus, and that leaves them vulnerable, and, the complete and they get, completely get destroyed because they get the virus. And so, again, watch it. It's, a, it's from 1996. But I thought of that as I'm, I'm getting ready to preach on the 4th of July. Uh, again, you can kind of write your comments to uh, Pastor Mike. Uh, at southwinds.org uh, if you're going, why is he, you had me at this amazing quote. But when I started listening to this and I was actually watching it a few, 
few weeks ago, and I thought, man, this would be actually a pretty cool quote because it's inspiring, right? We, we enjoy inspiring messages. We enjoy when you hear something that is about to change the entire world because in, at some point in our lives, we enjoy change. We enjoy something that makes a difference, and as we get ready to celebrate our Independence Day, we want to go, man, can this still happen in today's culture? Can this even happen at all? Can one person make a difference by a simple speech. And God, maybe another question we can ask ourselves is, God, can I make that difference in changing an entire world or an entire nation, me, my little person? And so what we're gonna do is we're going to go ahead and start reading the book of Jonah. Because the, what happens is, is that Jonah was a prophet, and, which meant that he was a God's instrument. He was an instrument where, where basically a prophet was used in order to be able to go to people and tell them to repent and turn back to God. And often these times, these, they would have to go into these moments of tension because there would be moments of rebellion. There'd be moments where people are wandering away, and God says, I need you to go and talk to those people. Jonah maybe a little bit different. And I know you guys must be, some of you guys might be familiar with the story, but as we kind of look at this story as Jonah being a prophet, I would, say, I would kind of more label Jonah less an instrument, more of a tool to, that God uses. And I will use that in many different ways. I've referenced Matt as a tool before as well. <laughs> and I love him just the same. But today what we're gonna actually realize is that we're gonna actually realize is that God chooses to use his broken messengers for unchanging, for his unchanging message. You see, I, I really believe that even though we are sitting here in 2022, that God's message is unchanging. And we might feel like our culture is constantly changing and we might even feel like at some point is, is going to church a losing battle, is reading God's word a, a losing battle. And what we're going to read is about a story where sometimes we go, man, God, is this a losing battle? And I think that that's where we arrive at this point where we're gonna kind of have these four observations through the book of Jonah and what we're gonna see is how God uses his unchanging message with just this broken or failing message. And so point one, if you're, if you're taking notes, is this, is that God's pathway is always changing while delivering his unchanging message. And so if you're with me, I'm gonna go ahead and start reading the book of Jonah with you guys, and I want you to bear with me because from this point forward, my goal is to separate myself from these notes and just straight dive into God's word this morning. And so let's go ahead and start there, and then we're gonna just call out some points with you this morning. So um, one is this, let's go ahead and start reading. Chapter one, verse one, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and he tells him, go to this great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish and, it, and he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now I wanna kinda stop there for a second because I wanna kinda talk about the idea of where God was sending Jonah. Jonah was supposed to head to this place called Nineveh. It was about 550 miles away from his location and God's saying, I need you to go there. And as you can kinda see what Jonah's response was, he's going, uh, he, what, he did what? He ran away from the Lord 
which means that if you are a spokesman for God and God tells you to go and do something and you choose to go the opposite way because Tarshish was 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. God's saying, I need you to go 550 miles this way. He goes and decides to go on to this Mediterranean cruise wanting to sail towards Spain and Portugal where he feels that that's where he's going. And in that process, why would he go and do something like that? Well, Nineveh was known as to be the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And if you know anything about the Assyrian Empire, these were the people that were against the northern kingdom of Israel. And so what God was basically telling Jonah to do was this. I need you to go to your enemy. I need you to go to the people who are against me. I need you to go to the people who are going and discrediting who I am and finding their false gods. And I need you to tell them about me and to repent and to follow me. But instead, Jonah goes the opposite direction. But God's unfailing message continues to move forward in this, and this is why I really enjoy the book of Jonah. It says in verse four, he says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each, get this, each cried out to his own God, and then they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, I love what Jonah does. So all these sailors are kind of going crazy. They're all getting, they're going, there's a storm. We're supposed to be taking our Mediterranean cruise. And all of a sudden, they start going, what do we need to do? The sailors go instinctively to go, in order to keep this ship from going under, we need to start tossing all of our supplies over it so that way we lighten the load and keep the ship above water. But Jonah, he's not a sailor, he's a tool. Because this is what he does next. But Jonah had gone back below deck where he laid down and he fell into a deep sleep. And then the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, and this is what he says, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And so then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots. Cast lots was like the idea of drawing straws. And so as they're in there and they're going, what's going on? And it was a way to kind of try to figure out who was responsible. And so as they're drawing straws and they're trying to see who's going to draw the short straw and they realize, okay, they, they, I'm, I'm good. They're like, there's probably one sailor going, yes, it's not my fault. Next sailor's probably going, okay, yes, this is not my fault. Next sailor, next sailor, next sailor. And the one that's left, there's a short straw. And they're realizing, well, who's not here to draw this straw? And it was Jonah. And he's sleeping. And he's below deck. And they're all frightened. And this guy says, I'm gonna go ahead and take a nap while this is all happening. Maybe he's thinking it's a waterbed and he's just enjoying his moment on the boat. But as the sailors begin to start casting lots to find out who was responsible for this calamity, it says that they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Verse eight, it says, so they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making this trouble for us? And then they begin to start asking Jonah a few questions. And they start asking, what do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answers this question, and I want you to think about this because he is rebelling against who God is. 
He's rebelling about what God, he want, God wants him to do, yet he very clearly answers because he is still a prophet being used by God, and he answers it this way. I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. You see, what he was trying to tell him is he's saying, hey, you guys have been praying out to your gods, but my God, he created the sea and the land, and guess what? I'm trying to run away from him by sea and by land. And in verse 10, he says, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And so the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make this sea calm down for us. And I could just imagine what Jonah's doing. He's thinking, man, God, I don't wanna go. I don't wanna go to this city. As a matter of fact, as he's probably reflecting about what Nineveh is or what Nineveh has done, and he's thinking what maybe the prophet of Nahum has talked about, and if you go a couple of books over in Nahum chapter three, he's kind of, he, kind of, uh, he, he was another prophet who was kind of preaching against Nineveh, and he was trying to tell him, saying, listen, you have left bodies streamed across the streets. These were very wicked people. These were people who did not celebrate God. And now you have a group of people who have been calling out to their gods at no, with no avail, and now they're saying, what have you done? What can we do to calm these storms? And this is all that Jonah does. Whether he's feeling guilty, whether he's feeling at this moment, like maybe he's like, well, wait a second, I know what needs to be done, but I still don't wanna go. So he tells them this in verse 12. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will be calm I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. You see, I think that there's sometimes in our lives when we know where God's direction, he wants us to go. And he, sometimes we're wondering, why am I in this storm? Why am I facing these circumstances? Why am I facing, and we kind of ask the why, 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 why? And maybe we want the quick out. Like Jonah's saying, just toss me over. But these sailors said this in verse 13. It says, instead, the men did their best to row back to land. He was affecting these sailors back and forth. And that sometimes, even in our rebellion, other people get affected around us. You see, sometimes when we know we're supposed to be doing something, it usually means that God not only has this for you, but God has this for the people around us as well. You see, sometimes when we're making decisions, we're thinking, oh, it's just about me. But the reality is, is that when God calls us to do something, it's because he cares not only for you, but he also cares for the people around you. And you see, the people are doing their best, that even though they heard maybe the solution was to go ahead and throw them out there, they're still trying their best in their own minds, in their own experiences, as veteran sailors to go, no, we're gonna still try to row back, but it was with no avail. And so in verse 14, says that they cried out to the Lord, and now here's something interesting. You see, before, they were crying out to their gods. But in verse 14 here, it says, then they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord there, in the Hebrew, is Yahweh. They were crying out to the God. Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, oh, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah 
and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And that this, I want you to capture this really quick, because in this moment, this is maybe what God was doing even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion. It says, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, Yahweh, capital L, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. I wanna stop there for a second because I want us to talk about this because sometimes in God's unchanging message using failed messengers, he can still make a difference. Because there's times, I've been in ministry for about close to, actually for about 25 years now, and I will tell you, and some of the people closest to me, is that there are times where I still go, God, can I still be used by you? I'm constantly at times going, am I still your messenger? Am I supposed to go and do something? Lord, how are you going to use me? I feel like I am not perfect. I feel like I don't do perfect things. I feel like I fall way short of what your standards are for me in my life. And here's where I feel God telling me this. He tells me, Chris, stop thinking about yourself. Do you not recognize who I am in your life? That maybe what I'm looking for is your emptiness instead of you being filled with yourself. And I think in this moment, Jonah was getting to the point where he was empty and he was done and maybe he didn't want to go to his enemies but God was saying, I still need you to go there but maybe along the way you can still change lives, even if it's in your rebellion. And so I wanna encourage you as you're sitting here, as we're reading this word, as we're going through this Bible, I want to encourage you here that God's message is unfailing, no matter what season or generation or what year we are at in our lives, that God's message is always unchanging, amen? I'll share you this quick story. This is, this is not in my notes because I don't have any. A few weeks ago, I was having breakfast with uh, just one of, uh, one of our members of our church. And as I was sitting there, this is kind of cool because I'm still going, God still do, does these things that tells you what to do. I'm sitting there having breakfast and I'm enjoying my breakfast. It was very comfortable. It was nice. I had like the ABC omelet, the hash browns, the toast. It was super good, extra cup of coffee and everything was good. As I'm having this conversation, I see this couple that's walking in the door. I don't know them. They don't know me. I'm having breakfast with a friend and God specifically says, I know I'm trying to go, I'm not trying to do like super spiritual things here, guys, but I know God is spiritual. So God says, you need to go and pray for that couple. I wanna go to a Mediterranean cruise right now. <laughs> I'm enjoying my breakfast, God. Why are you telling me to go and pray for somebody else? This is supposed to be my, my me time, with guy time with my buddy. Or, and so I'm going, God, do you really want me to do this? So I'm having breakfast, we're about 30 minutes from completing it, and as I finish breakfast, I'll be honest with you, they're like sitting like two booths down, and I'm going, I don't wanna go. I don't wanna go. I know I'm a pastor. You're going, Chris, you're a pastor? How do you do that? Do you not pray for everybody? Aren't you supposed to be doing that? Aren't you supposed to be praying for homeless as you're passing right by them? Aren't you supposed to be praying for anybody? 
But the reality is, is that God says you need to go and pray for that couple. And I will tell you, he doesn't do that all the time, okay? So don't think like, oh my gosh, Chris, you're so important. So I'm praying, so I'm not praying, I'm walking, and I'm almost passing by them. Actually, I am in the middle of passing by them, and I tap my buddy's shoulder, and I said, hey, dude, hold on. God says I have to pray for them. Talk about that, how weird is that? And so, I, and so we go, and we turn around, and I say, hey, how you doing? I know this is gonna sound weird, but one, I saw you as you're walking in, and I just said something simple like, hey, I just thought it was cool how you were holding uh, your wife's hand and coming in. And then, we start talking, and all of a sudden, the conversation goes like this. I heard you having a conversation with your friend, and I heard the word salvation. And what I was is I was kind of talking to my friend about it had been kind of a one-year anniversary of my dad's passing, and it was just past Father's Day. And, 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 and so I, I heard you use that word, and you know, we just moved here to Tracy a couple of, right, right at COVID, and we've been trying to figure out a place to go to church. And we've been also trying to find to get plugged into a Bible study here in Tracy. And I just sit back and I think about this. God, what if I didn't stop? Because they didn't know that I was a pastor at Southwinds Church. They didn't know that I was the life group's pastor at Southwinds Church. And then my buddy just turns and drops to his knees and he just starts saying, you're not gonna believe who's right here. And then as we begin to start praying for them, it was just a moment where God's like, and like, let me find a card. I'm like, here, here's my card. And it was just praying. I just start weeping because at that moment, I started to realize, what if I say no to where God wants me to go? What if I say no to what God wants me to do, even though I do not understand it, even though it feels weird, even though it's like not the common place to go into a restaurant, and as people are enjoying their breakfast and just saying, hey, how's it going? Can I pray for you? That's not normal. But what I do feel is that there is somebody in every one of our pathways that God wants us to do that for. There is somebody. Because as long as God's message is continually unfailing, even though we fail, his message will capture us. His message will affect others. And I saw them come to the church that following weekend. And I just sat back and I just said, God, thank you. Thank you that in a moment you can use my almost disobedience in that moment. And now I'm just kind of waiting and going, God, are you, gonna, you want me to talk to them at all? He hasn't done it since, a month later. So I just want to tell you that it's not like, tell us more, Chris, tell us more, what else? Well, actually I'm preaching right now, so get ready. Maybe God has something for you. So it finishes off chapter one, and then we go into the big fish story. And I'm not gonna go too deep into that. But in verse 17 of chapter one, it says this. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. 
and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. For you guys who are going, how is that possible? Come on, Chris. I'm not gonna go into the details, but in my studying, it said that it's probably some type of mammal, so someone that needs oxygen to breathe, so maybe a sperm whale, a whale shark, but there has been evidence where they actually opened up a whale shark, and they found a human inside there who was still alive, and I'm going, okay, God, I trust that you can do anything. Shoot, he did come back from life. Okay, so if you're worried about him being swallowed by a fish, take it up with Jesus when you meet him, okay? <laughs> but then he goes into this prayer, and I wanna kinda give you some quick observations of this before we get into the prayer. And the one observation is this, is that broken messengers are often the delivery method of his unchanging message. And I want you to kinda picture Jonah in this because there is no repentance in this prayer, but there's a lot of humility. And as we go through the prayer, I want you to picture that maybe you have said a few of these things when you have been down in your dumps and you didn't realize that you were quoting Jonah's prayer. And so this is Jonah praying to God as he's in the big fish. And I don't know if he's like, like this, thinking, oh, this is better than the waterbed, or if he's like this, kind of stuffed in there going, what did I just do? In chapter two, it says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me, and all your waves and breakers, they swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again. You see, he's God's prophet and he's already saying, yet I will look again. He's telling God, I know you still have a plan for me towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. If you didn't get it, he wasn't writing this inside the whale either. He wrote it later on. I just want to kind of give you a heads up there. He's like, Steve swallowed me and everything like that. Okay, so seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. To the earth barred me in forever but you brought my life up from the pit. O oh Lord, my God. He's now beginning to call the Yahweh, the one true God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I wanna stop there for a second. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be there. Those sailors had worthless idols. And they were all calling out to their gods. And in those moments, their gods did not rescue them. When we go to our idols and we think they're going to rescue us, they don't. They may hit pause sometimes in our lives. They may hit saying, hey, I feel better in this moment. But they don't provide a true solution to the problems that we're facing. We have to go to God because in there, that's where we are for, they are actually forfeiting the grace as God saying, hey, even though you have your own gods, when you turn to me, Yahweh, I am your God and I will take you where you need to go. Don't forfeit 
the grace that God has for you by turning to those idols. In verse nine, it says, but I will sing a song of thanksgiving and will sacrifice to you. And then he kind of, this is the interesting part, and this is where I feel like God was waiting for Jonah to get to, okay? I don't know if sometimes if you've ever complained or whined to God, I've done it, all right? I've done it many times, but he finally arrives to a point because we're getting ready for the vomit story, okay? And I'm not gonna go into details because that's gross and we're on Sunday and it's not children's ministry or student ministry, otherwise I'm camping on throwing up for a while. But this is where Jonah has to get to before God's ready to use him. He says this, what I have vowed I will make good, and then he says this, salvation what? Comes where? From the Lord. God needed Jonah to arrive that salvation comes from the Lord, not from his tool. Do we get that? You see, what happens was is Jonah was thinking, well, if I'm his prophet, I don't want to go to Nineveh and rescue these enemies of my people, these enemies of my nation. They actually, what we've discovered later is that years down the road, they actually do come and destroy Israel. And maybe as a prophet, he's thinking, these people are my enemy. They hate me. They speak ill about my people. They speak ill about my God. But God needed Jonah to arrive that salvation comes from not him, but from the Lord. And that God cares not just for the Israelites, but he cares for all his children. Are we capturing this, church? Are we capturing these moments where does God care about people outside of this building, outside of our social media? And in verse 10, it says, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah bleh, into the dry land. His Mediterranean, Mediterranean cruise was over and God says, now you have to go to Nineveh. So now, it's kind of like that was act one. Now we're going into act two. And point three is if you're taking notes, says this, life changes as his unfolding message is delivered. I want you to hear how a broken prophet goes and delivers this message. You're gonna laugh because guess what? You're going to discover that what he says to the Ninevites is nowhere near probably what God has for him, but we're still going to find out how God uses all of us. In chapter three, verse one, it says, then the word came to the Lord, or came, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, what, a second time. And he says, go to the great city of Nineveh, great city? To the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Nineveh was described as being right next to the Tigris River. It was a place that's actually kind of modern day Mosul, Iraq. And he, what he's saying, he's saying, I want you to go to this great city. And this great city had walls that were 100, not 100, yeah, 100 feet high and 50 miles deep. This was a great fortress. And he's saying, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh, and I want you to proclaim this message I give to you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days on the first day, and Jonah started into the city, and he proclaimed 40 more days. This is the message that Jonah says. 40 more days, and the city of Nineveh will be overturned. I'm gonna stop there for a second, that's it. 
That's the message that he gives them. He goes and says, so God says, I want you to give this message for them. And he goes and he simply tells them, guess what? You're all getting destroyed. Life is over. <laughs> That's like the message translation. You're all gonna die. But here's how they respond. This is God's unfailing message through a broken messenger. It says this. They declared a fast and all of them, from greatest to least, put on sackcloth. And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in dust, and then he issued a proclamation to all of Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast or herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently, not on their God, but on God Yahweh. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? This is the interesting part. He's like, who knows? God yet may relent with his compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And in verse 10, it goes on and says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. I wanna just stop here for a moment because I want you to picture how powerful God's unfailing message is. Jonah simply went to Nineveh and said, you're all gonna die. I don't know if he was yelling it, but as he's going through it, through the three days, as he's traveling through it, he's saying, the city of Nineveh in 40 days is going to travel. We know that in scripture, 40, the number 40 is supposed to mean like testing and trials. Why would the city of Nineveh just instantly turn saying you're going to get destroyed? When you go back and you kind of look at history, what was before, right before Jonah had arrived there, it said history tells us that they had experienced two famines and one solar eclipse, which to them at that time meant there's some form of destruction that is coming to your land. But who is in charge of the nature? Who is in charge of that land? Who is in charge of the provision of food? Who is in charge of the sun? It's God. And yet before even Jonah knew it, God was orchestrating events in his enemies' lives where then when one person comes in and says, you're all gonna be destroyed, it was like the final piece they needed to hear to turn to God. God didn't need this theologian to go and tell them, you're all gonna die, really? What he needed was a faithful mouthpiece to just simply go to people and say, this is the message that God said to do. Now, what did they do? And I wanna talk about that for a second. It first of all says that they actually put on these sackcloth clothes, okay? And it's like putting on burlap. I don't know if any of you guys just wear burlap randomly and stuff, but I remember back in the day growing up, you used to do like the potato sack races and stuff, and man, you had the itchy legs as you're putting it on, or if you've ever done a skit and you kind of put on a potato sack, they don't make them that big anymore. Not even Costco makes these things, but they're putting on very itchy clothes, and they're putting themselves into moments of discomfort. 
And they also say there's a fast that's declared and saying no one is going to eat, no one is going to drink, and guess what? It's not only going to be humans, but even the cows, even the pets, they're gonna be like, they don't even get any water. Man, if I did that to my dog, he'd be like, what did I do? But what the king was doing, he was trying to be very intentional in saying, we are all going to put our play, ourselves into discomfort and we're gonna call out to God and just maybe, just maybe, he is going to keep us from destruction. And he does. As I was going through my studying and I was thinking about this idea of being placed in moments of discomfort, I want us to think about this for a second. How often do we put ourselves into discomfort before we go to God? I usually try to get up in the morning, I get my cup of coffee, I try to find the quiet place, and I try to be able to have that moment with God. But right now, I've got like a one-year-old, a four-year-old, an eight-year-old, and I have like a 16-year-old and a 20-year-old in college. And guess what? What it kind of looks like more is like I'm kind of coming in. I'm going, hey, how's everybody doing? All right, what are we going to eat? All right, I got to go bye. And I say goodbye to my wife, and she's like, thanks. And then I kind of take off. And then I'm sometimes listening to the audio Bible on my way to work, and I'm like, okay, I just did my devotions. But there's moments in our lives where I think God wants us to be in moments of discomfort so that we can actually empty ourselves so that he can really begin to fill what, what he needs us to be, not what we think we should be. And I wanna encourage you that if you're in a place of discomfort right now, don't look at it as a place of saying, has God left me? Maybe he's bringing you to a place where God, how is God using you in your discomfort? Because now you're acting not out of your obedience, but maybe your discomfort and then be obedient to what he has next. So it says that he completely avoids destruction. Now here comes the tools part again in chapter four. But Jonah, so he does it, all right? He goes and he goes across the land and he finally tells everybody that they're gonna get destroyed. He's obedient to that side and now here's this conversation with God because again, I feel like I have this conversation sometimes with God too. And though in chapter four, verse one, he says, but Jonah was greatly, what? Pleased? My, my Bible says displeased, upset. You know, he was displeased. Entire nation repented. Entire nation turned to God. Entire, entire, entire nation is now following God, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became even, what, angry. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? And now Jonah gets to his real like why he didn't want to go. He says, this is why I was so, so, actually he says, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was back at home? This is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish, to Tarshish. I knew that you are a, and this is, I'm not even taking it out, I'm just reading straight from the Bible. He says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, so you're an awesome God to me, right? But yet, in his mind, he felt like they deserve destruction. They deserve what they get. 
they deserve from being away from God. And what he's doing is he's actually quoting from Exodus chapter 34, verse six, when God was passing by Moses after the second time he had to redo the tablets because the first time he came back down and brought the 10 commandments, they had built a calf and started celebrating a gold calf instead of God. So he's like, dang it. And he comes back again, but God tells him the exact same quote that Jonah's calling out to God now. And maybe God's going, you're not getting it, Jonah. So in verse three, he says, now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And what basically Jonah was doing was that he didn't get his own way. And I don't know when you're following God that sometimes you're going, God, I'd rather die than if you didn't do it my way. And God's going, you're missing the bigger picture. In verse four, he goes on and says, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? And I love this, Jonah has no response. Instead, it says in verse five, it says, Jonah went out and sat down to a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to do what? He waited to see what would happen to the city. So now Jonah, he kind of says his peace with God. He says, man, just kill me. I'm gonna go ahead and go out to the east side of the city and I'm just gonna wait. Okay, God, when are you gonna destroy it? God. But this is what God does. And this is what God does to our lives still, even in our midst of our disobedience. It says in verse six, it says, then the Lord provided, the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his, what, discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. He's angry, God, take my life. Oh, God, thank you so much for the shade. Can I have some wind now? It's coming. He's sitting to the east wind. He's maybe catching some of the, the nice coolness from the Tigris River going up to him. And he's now he's pleased with God. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which grew, uh, which chewed the vine, and so it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. Being here in Tracy, you guys get that, right? And say, a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he goes, he wanted to what? Die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine. You see, God provided it in that moment, and he enjoyed that moment, and what he was also showing is that, guess what, for this moment, in this season, in this time, to the city of Nineveh, I am providing salvation. Do you not remember the end of your prayer in chapter three? He hadn't written it yet, I'm just kinda saying it to us. That salvation belongs to who? To me, Jonah. I am going to save this nation. And in this city, in this time, and even though tomorrow the shade is going to be withered away, I'm trying to show you that I am still a gracious and loving God. But then he responds, I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. And in verse 10, as we wrap up the book of Jonah, and congratulations, you got 65 more books to go. It says, but the Lord says, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it and make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And now here's God and this is where he leaves 
this prophet of God. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about the great city of Nineveh? You see, in that moment, God was trying to show him, saying, I am planning to use one man, a failing prophet, who wants to rebel against me, but I'm going to send you to a place where there's more than 120,000 people because I care about them because they don't know what they're doing. They're confused and they're hurt and they need a God who is compassionate and loving and gracious and knows exactly what they're experiencing and has created, even in the midst of nature, something so great that they've never seen before, and they're gonna meet me. Jonah was worried about shade. He was worried about his discomfort. He was worried about going to people that he felt deserved destruction. Yet God was saying, I care about you. Now here's something, an interesting tie-in, pretty cool for this city of Tracy. When you combine the city of Tracy, the city of Mountain House, the city of Lathrop, there's a little bit more than 120,000 people. We've got maybe a few hundred people sitting here in these seats today. What can God do with a few hundred people, let alone just one person? who wants to just be his instrument and not a tool. But he'll take a tool too. And so I wanna encourage you, stop trying to be the perfect instrument and just be an instrument because God's unfailing message can be used to help you reach so many people in your life, maybe while you're eating breakfast, maybe as you're going to work, maybe in your neighborhood, or maybe within your own home, or maybe in here right now but maybe you need to choose to follow God today. So as your vocal piece today, I wanna encourage you and say, repent, and just turn back to a loving and gracious God who wants to meet you exactly where you're at and point you directly back to him. So as we close in prayer, I just want you to go to him now. Jonah didn't do it perfectly, but maybe God's already been stirring in you over your season of life where you're just saying, I'm, try, I'm, I'm, I'm like trying to do this on my own, but I need to stop. And maybe just need to recognize you need to invite God to be in your life. You need to invite this amazing Jesus who has died on that cross, who says, guess what? That even though you fall short of the standards, that's why I came down to this earth to die for you. And guess what? I will accept you, I will, I will love you, and I will help you follow me and that one day you will be my instrument to help do the same to other people. So I'm gonna invite our ushers up and we're gonna go ahead and close in prayer. Thanks so much, guys. Father God, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for allowing us to go through the book of Jonah, to look at his life, to explore what you've been doing, Lord, in a person who at times was so disobedient, but yet you still used to bring people to you. God, I thank you that these, that these stories are recorded in what we call the Bible, Father God, but what you call this love letter to point us back to you. And God, I thank you, Lord, that there is constant failures in this Bible. Not that your word is a failure, but the people in it were failures. 
The people in it wanted to wander away from you, yet God, you constantly brought people back to you. And so God, I pray that today, over 2,500 years later than when this book was written, that God, we are all still sitting here going, I have failed, I have fallen short, but maybe I need to turn to God right now who loves me in spite of me. And so God, we just simply want to surrender ourselves to you. We recognize your love. We recognize who you are. And God, maybe in this season, Lord, we will walk with you for the rest of our lives should we choose to surrender to it in this moment. And we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.